You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3, recorded on the 6th of March, 2020. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Broken Meeple podcast. I have 99.9% recovered from the tonsillitis problem I had back in February. That's why there wasn't an episode back then. Basically, apart from a little bit of Alzheimer's drip in my throat, that sometimes I have to clear my throat every now and again, but uh, in terms of headache, nausea and all that stuff, that's long gone. I'm now back up to speed and thankfully just in time for Aircon next week. Yes, I am going to be there for the entire three days. I'll be there as a press member, but I'll obviously be there to play games and so forth. There's only going to be so many demos I'm in and so much to do on a press note so i'll certainly be there to play games i'll be up for teaching stuff i might bring some games with me in fact you know feel free to send me some requests but just turning around now i can already think of terramara and vindication i wouldn't mind playing again some point soon so i could bring those they could be pretty good ones and well there's a lot of stuff on my shelf so you know i'm up for playing pretty much any game really i just want to Meet people, see some bloggers that I haven't seen in a while, just meet up with you guys and just generally play games and have fun. That's what Aircon's all about. But I'm also going to be extending the trip a little bit because I've got some time off in lieu at work. So I will be arriving on the Thursday morning. Well, Thursday afternoon technically. It is a five-hour drive nearly. But I'll essentially be setting off Thursday morning and getting there in time so that I can get my tickets early and shove everything into the Brin and Buy. That's my first job. For the rest of the day, not much is really on. I mean, I'll have to feed myself, but uh, if anybody is there on Thursday late afternoon and the whole of the evening, I'll be up for meeting up, maybe play some games, have some dinner, you know, have a drink, whatever. I'm up for a social time. Just basically get in touch and see where I am. You know, I'm entirely flexible. But then I'll also be staying for a couple of days after Aircon, just to see a little bit of the area, really, because I really want to visit more of Yorkshire and I haven't had a chance. So I'd like to pop over to York, you know, and give it a visit. I don't care what the media says. I am not afraid to go out in public because of the rotten coronavirus. You know, so I would happily like to spend a day in York. But then I might also say, you know what, I'll spend a few hours in York, but I would like to go to the Yorkshire Dales and perhaps go on a walk, pick a hill, find the tallest peak in Yorkshire Dales or something and walk up that. You know, that'd be quite cool. I do like uh, a decent hike. So yeah, I'll return on the Tuesday instead and then back to work. So yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to having a bit of a break, considering January and February was uh, somewhat busy. And of course, there's more holidays on the way. I mean, I've got uh, the Shake, Battle and Roll convention, or what used to be called StabCon South, later this month. I've got two weeks off in April to do Diddly Squat. And then obviously we've got the Expo in May. And it's made even better this year, because one of my huge clients I had to deal with at work, I no longer have to deal with anymore. They've now given it to someone else, so I handle one big client, they handle the other. Brilliant. Frees up my May, means I'm not uh, you know, going up to the Midlands for an audit for two weeks. It means I'm not doing a whole month of prep and post-audit stuff. And it also means I don't have to dice with death and do weekend hours in order to get time off in order to go to the UK Games Expo. So fantastic. <laughs> you know, anything to make my job just a bit more bearable. So... While I'm at Aircon, you know, just get in touch. Uh, 
you know, I'm looking forward to it and I'll hopefully see some of you guys there. If this is your first time to Aircon, then, you know, just go on, have fun and invite yourself into games. People are friendly, people are willing to teach games, people are willing to invite others into games, the library's got some good stuff in there, there'll be some group activities, just generally mingle and have fun. That's the best tip I can advise for you, although... I don't expect to be eating healthy while you're at the convention. So if you're like me and a bit of a health freak, you might have to pop off a little bit at lunchtime or dinner time in order to get a healthier meal because I guarantee you, you aren't going to get much in the way of healthy food out back or certainly from the tuck shop in there. But that's a small thing. And also, don't forget to have your tea and coffee there because they do have plenty of that. And thankfully, in decaf form because I've gone caffeine-free recently. Well, near caffeine-free. I'm allowed decaf green tea and black tea and coffee. You know, as long as it's got the word decaf in front of it, I'm fine. But I mainly drink herbal teas anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But, you know, I just figured I needed to cut the caffeine down at work. And it does mean that I've struggled to get my energy levels back up because obviously I was fueled on caffeine and I need to whittle it out of my system, I need to go a long period without it, get my energy used to not having caffeine fueling the system and also get to bed earlier, that would be nice. So in terms of the channel, what's coming? Well, there's not a huge amount coming because, well, it's still the barren months, although we're getting into April, so March and April things will start to pick up a bit, but I've got Alubari, a nice cup of tea on the way to get reviewed and also something called Oriflame, Oriflam. I'm not sure, I know very little about this, but my contact said, oh, you wanna look at this one as well? We've had it for about a year, it's pretty cool. And it's like, oh, okay, whatever, I'll give it a try. So that and Alibari is on the play pile soon. But then I've also got some stuff coming out soon. Hopefully you've checked out my recent two top tens. I told you I would do them in a row, so I kept my promise on that. And I've got a lot of ideas for future top 10s that I'm running by the Patreons at the moment. I think the next couple are going to be top 10 medium weight games. And probably the next one, or maybe the one before that, will be top 10 essential games. Yes, I will actually do a top 10 essential games and try and, you know, try and not infuriate too many people by determining what I consider essential. But, you know, obviously it's subjective anyway. In terms of reviews, you've got three to look forward to in the near future. You have got first Coloma, the new game from Johnny Pack. You've also got The Crew, the little new game that seems to be taking a bit of buzz at the moment from uh, Cosmos Games. You know, is this going to give me the same infuriating experience as The Mind, or is this going to give me something a little bit different and a bit more entertaining? We'll see. And then, of course, the big one. Oh, blimey, I've had to do reshoots on this because I wasn't satisfied with some of my explanations because there's a lot of talk about and a lot to cover and there is no way that this video is going to be 15 minutes. You may have to accept this one's going to be a long one because it's on Mars. Yes, I'm going to be tackling that one and it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a long time to edit that one, but uh, the other two will probably come first because, well, they're already edited and ready to upload. So uh, Patreons get first dibs and then you guys will get to see them after. So the idea with this podcast is just to have a bit of a chinwag, really. Just to mention a few games and go for a few questions and answers from non-Patreons this time. Uh, a couple of Patreons have sent me some new questions that I can answer in future episodes, but I've had four saved up. One from a Patreon and three from the community that I wanted to go through later. But then first, what have I been playing? Well, 
I was only going to talk about two games and then somebody asked me on Instagram if I could do a review for this. I know I'm not going to because I haven't got enough expansions and small stuff to do in Anthology, but I said I'd talk about it on the podcast. So uh, consider this a bonus and that's the Wingspan expansion, or what do they call it, European expansion. If you are a fan of Wingspan, there is no reason you haven't already gone out and bought this because, let's face it, why wouldn't you if you enjoyed the game? But what it basically does is it adds more of the same. It doesn't really change the game up anyway. It just adds a lot more birds, all from Europe. So if you're a bird fanatic, I'm not. But uh, if you know your stuff, then you'll recognize some of these. But what will also be is that there's more powers on the birds. So you've got like the standard powers, you've got the brown powers and that. But you've also got now blue powers. And these are pretty cool because the idea of these work is that blue powers trigger at the end of every round. And there's some cool stuff that you can do with these. I mean, I've had birds that, you know, give you food and basic, you know, cards at the end of every round. I've had ones that lay eggs based on what other players have done. So there's a bit more interaction. There was one bird I used quite well in the last one, which was if you binned three cards underneath it, then you obviously had three points from doing that. But it also allowed you to draw a card for each one. So basically, as long as you had three cards spare at the end of every round, you got three points from this bird. Yeah, there's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, but the main reason this, you know, and what do they do? They they add a bit more interaction in the game with other players, which is great. You know, we need a little bit more of that. But the rules are not complicated with these birds. I mean, you throw them in, mix them up, and you will barely notice the difference in terms of complexity. But what is the biggest benefit here? Twofold. Firstly, you get more bonus cards, and there's some really interesting bonus cards in there. A bit more interesting than the previous one. But the real big one, and this is probably worth the cost of the expansion alone, the objective tiles. You know those things at the end of every round that you fight over in order to get points? In the previous one, they were pretty much egg-centric, weren't they? And they kind of got a little bit dull after a while. Now you got a lot more, and they are much more varied. I mean, they will cover all sorts of different aspects that don't have just to do with having an egg on a certain type of bird. So now people are starting to do things other than just lay eggs all the time, and it's allowing for like some different strategies to come out, but it's also just allowing for a bit more variety in what people are playing bird-wise. So aside from that, there's not a lot to talk about other than the fact that Jamie Stonemeyer really should pay more attention to how people are going to store his game. I know he's basically come out and said he doesn't care, but seriously, he should have. Because you get a tray for these cards which can't fit in the original box and can't fit all the cards that you've got. So you have no way to store the expansion other than to basically ditch one of the trays and then bag up some of the cards, which I've done. You know, some fit in the original tray and some I've bagged up and put the pieces in that box. That's it, you literally have to ditch the expansion box and go from there because there's not much point keeping the expansion box. God knows what's gonna happen when they do the Orient, the Oriental one or whatever's coming next, you know, the those birds. I don't know, I'm gonna fit it all in the box and I'm gonna have some random expansion box. Bit annoying, yeah, really annoying. I can't wait for them to sort of go, oh yeah, we're gonna do a collector's box of wingspan, give me money, you know, you know it's gonna happen. But yeah, if you like the game wingspan, no reason, you shouldn't pick up the expansion, it's solid. Next game I want to talk about is way out of my comfort zone. In fact, probably way more out of my comfort zone than most games, and certainly the next one even, and that is Tokyo Metro. This game was 
a weird one to say the least. I mean, I my friend brought it out and was saying this is a you're connecting up you're connecting up um, stations and you're letting trains go by and you're buying shares in order to get the most money. And I thought, oh god, this is another one of those 18xx rubbish games again. But I was running out of ideas as to who to play games with at the club night. I felt sorry for him and my other friend that there was only two of them. And I thought, oh, they're not going to play the game that they really want to play if there's only two of them. So me and someone else sort of went, come on, come on, show me. You know, I'm up, I'm up for new stuff. You know, show me this game. So he gets this game out and it basically comes on a cloth mat. It seems to be one of these things about this, you know, some of these games where they're done on cloth mats now. And it's, okay, what, to make your game machine washable? I don't know. I mean, they look okay, but what's wrong with a board? You know, a decent board. But either way, lays out this cloth mat, bunch of cards, bunch of really sort of basic abstracted artwork cards with uh, spaces on them. I mean, this is not a game to be a looker. That's certain. I mean, the most nice looking thing on there is probably the cloth mat itself with the Tokyo Metro system colored lines on it and some pillars for the trains. That's about it. Everything else kind of looks a bit bland, really. But what do you expect? It's a train game with shares in it. But this is not a game where you are doing the 18x sexing of buying companies and watching them go bust and watching them go up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, this one's a bit more simplified. Simplified from that, but I would call this kind of like a complex airlines Europe. You're getting shares, but it's mainly just so that you have a split of what it's worth at the end of the game. In terms of the value of the company, that will always go up because it's based on, you know, the train going past the stations and depending who owns the station, the, the company gets certain worth, etc. So the value never goes down. But at the end of the game, if someone has speculated on your train, then the value that they'll get some money before you get the value. And it can be an annoying way of having your train line crippled. But I'm kind of on the fence on that one. But like I say, I played it. I had a, a squeaked out a win by about 500 quid over um, my rival. And I must admit, I didn't expect the standings to be like that because I thought I was going to come last or third at best. So to actually win it shows that I have a lot to learn on this game. But... I thought I was going to hate this game when I walked into it. My expectations were low. I actually came away liking it. Not like, oh yeah, love it, or I want to definitely play it again sometime, but it's more kind of like on that rating of 6, probably a 7 even, where I'm like, you know what, I don't need to keep this game. I'm not going to say, oh, bring Tokyo Metro next week, but then if they bring it along and it's an option, I'll be like, yeah, I'll play it. I'm up for that. It actually was fairly entertaining. You know, the... The whole share thing, I mean, I don't really care about like shares and putting value into your train lines and that. That wasn't really what I was enjoying. What I enjoyed was you have a character, you have a guy on the map who cycles around the place so that you can reach the stations in order to build there, which is different from where the train lines are. On top of that, the trains, once they start, go back and forth along their lines and you can up the speed of them. And as they go over the stations, you get certain liquid money, uh, like liquid liquidity money, you know, stuff you can spend, or you get some value in the company, depending on whether you own a share or not. But I really liked the idea that the cards that came out were worker placement spots. Different actions, quite a lot of different actions, very simple actions, apart from one or two, and they were variable each round. They ranked. They, they were different in terms of how efficient they were, and you couldn't always guarantee you got a spot that was efficient in a particular round. And I just found it really good. You know, the the idea that every round the spaces were going to be different, and I have to have some other thought about 
you know, worker placement tension. And there was. You start off with three discs, you can get up to six. I tried to get that quite early. It helped, but, you know, you could have survived with less if you were just efficient with what you did. Obviously, you've got to take the time to go get those discs, and it costs money, which is very, very, very tight in this game. So, yeah, I, I was alright with it, actually. You know, I would happily play this again. I'd like to try it again. It was a bit slow. You know, we were playing a bit slow that day, and obviously there's two of us that were new. They hadn't played it in a while. I would like it to be a bit shorter for what it is, but I enjoyed the idea that, uh, you, you know, you grab a bike, you cycle around, get to a station... And as the train goes by, you can hitch a ride to get across to the other side of the map to build stations elsewhere. I thought that was really cool. Why you can turn a bike into a free station, I have no idea. Theme is not exactly a strong point with this game. But I actually, like I say, I'm surprised. I was very surprised that I came away with a smile on my face. You know, not just from winning, but you know, <laughs> I meant for actually enjoying the game. And if they want to bring it out, I'll be happy to try it again. Tokyo Metro. And finally, I want to talk about a lighter game, which I may review, we'll see. I mean, I would like to do more top 10s if I'm running out of stuff to do, but, you know, maybe I'll do a review on this one, and that's Ishtar. Ishtar is a Bruno Kefala game that came out, uh, I think, last year, sort of uh, mid-last year, and it's flown under the radar. Not a lot of people know of it, not many people have uh, gone out and grabbed it or played it, and some people have written it off as just, oh, it's another game, but I actually got a bit more enjoyment out of this one. I mean, I... At the moment, I'm thinking it's kind of on a 7-8 level. It's a decent game. It is Bruno Kefala on, on, you know, after all. It is his shtick to make good, fun games. But Ishtar is essentially pretty much an abstract game where you are building these gardens on a map, on a desert landscape, like Takinoko style in a sense, putting tiles down. And... What you're doing with these tiles is that you're trying to build flower beds, and the flower beds can score your points if you control them. But they spread out from these fountains, and you've got a little rondelle system to say whether you can take a certain tile or not. So it's kind of like the polyomino thing, which I do like in games, but not like Tetris style pieces. I mean, these ones are a bit more weirdly shaped. It's more like sets of three, so triangle or straights, that kind of thing. And they're like curved, whatever. I can't really describe it. You'd have to look at the board. But with this one, I found it quite charming. It's just a charming little game because you score points for having your guy on flower beds, you score points for controlling a flat, um, the most flower spaces by a fountain, the fountains score differently based on rarity, and as you put the tiles down you get gems, you can use these to unlock skills on your board, some of them get you points at the end of the game for various things, some are just called bonuses, you also can use these gems to plant trees in the garden on spare spaces, and you've got these tiny little wooden tree like pieces that don't do anything apart from just fill up the space and say there's a tree there, but obviously you can't put something on top of a tree space, but it just makes it look very nice at the end. I mean, this yellow board suddenly becomes like full of green and bits of yellow and these little green, um, you know, trees all over the place with a bit of desert still left over because you've got restrictions on where you can put the tiles. And by the time you get to the mid game and later, you really start running out of room in certain places. Like, oh, I really want to go there, but I can't because I can't connect two gardens to the same fountain. Ah, oh, what? You know, it gets a little bit tense with the choice of tiles. It gets a bit tense with where you're going to put stuff. And obviously people are fighting for control over fountains. But it's not a mean game. You know, you can wrestle control away from someone. But it's not directly mean. 
but the game is just very simple and flows smoothly. The only time the game kind of grinds its gears a little bit is in the scoring phase, where there's quite a few things to score and you've got to count up things. Some people have written off as kind of fiddly. The game, girls at the game shelf did that. And, and I thought, it's not that fiddly. I mean, you've got to count up a few things and you could maybe trust people to count up their own flower beds. But yeah, I would admit, if you're going to say that any part of this game is a bit more fiddly than others, it's the scoring, but we are not talking like walking in province type fiddly scoring. You know, we're just talking, adding up a few flower beds, checking the fountains and seeing what skills you got. You know, it takes a little bit of time, but not too much time. But the game was just very nice, very pleasant, almost kind of zen-like in a sense, not quite as zen-like as Takedo, Takenoko and all that lot, but I just found it pleasant. It was nice, it was simple, it took me barely any time to explain the game, the rules are dead simple. Once you know the restrictions for placing tiles, you are pretty much there. The skill iconography is easy, I mean you could figure out some of it already. Failing that, you've got a reference aid. It's just well produced, it's by Yellow Games, so you know that they do good looking production, and I found it nice. I suppose I can't call it a great game, but I'm not going to call it meh either. I think this is a good abstract family weight game and I think we need more of these. I'm getting sick and tired of everybody going on about only the heavy stuff. Light games are good fun and I enjoyed this. If there is any main flaw I have with the game, it's mainly that it's one of those games where, you remember my list I did recently about multiplayer games that are best with two? I'm not necessarily saying this one's best with two but as you go through the number of players the chaos factor ramps up a little bit because you don't know where the rondelle piece is going to end up by the time it gets to your turn, so you're kind of unable to really plan your turn out until you know what tile you're going to take. So this could have maybe fit on my, my best multiplayer games with two players list in order to say, well, it's good with three, it's okay with four, but probably best at two, and I would not be surprised if that turns out to be the case after more plays. But I want to try again with two players and sometimes with three players. Maybe I'll do a review of this, I don't know. You'll have to let me know if you want to review of Ishtar because I need to be uh, obviously mindful of how many views it's likely to get by now. You know, I mean, the last few videos I've done says it all. You know, Wavelengths barely had like 600 views. The one before that, uh, what was the one before Wavelength? Awkward guess, I think that's only just got to 1100 and that's after a while. But the two top tens I've done, one's already past 7,000, the other one's already past 3,500. I mean, it just says it all really. The top tens get the views. I mean, imagine what my channel would be like if it was nothing but top 10s, like Watch Mojo. Hmm, <laughs> I have to admit, not something I'm planning to do. I got to do reviews, but uh, it certainly does mean that doing reviews and top 10s is pretty much the way this channel, I think, has got to go at this rate, because I just can't fit in any other content that's likely to keep the channel running. But you enjoy the top 10 lists, so I'll continue to do them. They're just a bit of a mammoth to uh, edit. But maybe I'll find some ways to shorten the editing time, maybe cut out one or two graphical features and that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. So that was a slight uh, tangent, uh, but uh, Ishtar. Pretty nice, charming, abstract game from Yellow. Family Wait. Check it out. Okay, let's wrap this up with a bit of Q&A. Four questions I want to talk about. I'll try not to spend too long on them, but then I say that a lot and tend to mess up. So 
why do I even bother saying that really? So first one, I'm going to go with the non-Patreon. So this is community people asking this to people who watch my channel, see me on Twitter, whatever, or send me an email. And this is 8-Bit Meeple who has said, which future board game app release are you looking most forward to, given that you like this so much? Yes, I have to admit, I do like these board game apps when they're integrated into games. I like several apps that I play on the tablet and app, but mostly I tend to play them on travel. I don't tend to sit at home and just go, oh, I fancy playing Through the Ages for a bit. Beep, 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 boop, 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 you know, like on my tablet. It's, it's usually a travel thing. I'm sitting in an airport lounge, I'm on the plane, I'm, you know, in a train or something, then I take the tablet with me. Maybe sometimes when I go to conventions and I need something to do at night, but that doesn't tend to happen as often. So in terms of actual proper game releases, I've had a look and there's not a huge amount on the horizon that I'm going nuts for. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of stuff that's either been cancelled or isn't certain. Like, for example, there's a haze over whether Viticulture is getting a digital release. I have to admit, if it can get a digital release, I will be grabbing that in seconds because I would love to have that in a digital form. But the one that I know that is definitely getting released is Nomad Games are doing a Fury of Dracula app. And that would probably be the one I'd say I'm looking most forward to because I sold my copy of Fury... I think I did. I think I sold my copy of Fury of Dracula. But I have to double check. But it was just too hard to get it to the table. That It would take forever to explain the rules. And then you've got like a two to three hour game playing it. I've got Spectre Ops and Escape from the Aliens Out of Space. They do a better job really. So I just had to get rid of it. So to have it on an app where AI or online players could play it and you could maybe do like a play by turn or whatever, you know, stuff like that. I'm intrigued to see where this app could go. I'm, I think this is a board game that could really benefit from a solid app integration as long as the AI is considered to be half intelligent and that you haven't got to sit on the app for like three hours to play it online with other people. So yeah, kind of looking forward to this one. Nomad Games have done pretty good in the past. I think they did a Mystic Veil as well and look how well that's turned out. So yeah, I'm keen on this. Fury of Dracula. Okay, Mr. Timothy Ball says, You like Predator, despite thinking it will be just like work. So how does this differ from real life, and what advice do you have for other people with similar worries? Okay, so when I say that games feel a bit like work, I'm typically talking like the 18xx, the really heavy economic euros, where they feel like I'm more doing a job than I am actual having fun in a game. And sometimes when it say feel like work, I'm more talking about the fact that I am a tax accountant. So stuff like shares and dividends and money and managing your money and stuff like that, this is what I'm more involved with as a day job. Not so much shares, but tax, you know, and things like that. I'm, I'm an accountant, so this kind of stuff in a board game is just reminding me a bit too much of work and I tend not to go mad for it. The other problem I have is that the themes never usually help because you're saying this is a heavy economic game about selling oil. Yay! Who cares? You know, it's you know, it's not even an interesting subject and you're giving me something that feels like I should be getting a check at the end of this as my paycheck. So in terms of why Predator was a special case, I think a lot of that has to do with how different the theme was. Predator is about fashion, running a fashion company. I see train company stuff all the time. I see all this oil and coal and iron, you know, like brass and pipeline and electricity, like barrage, and that stuff's just not interesting. But fashion? Okay, I'm not exactly a fashion expert. I mean, look at me. But 
that whole idea of running a fashion company is just different. You know, what's the closest thing we've had to a fashion game beforehand? Rococo? And that's pretty much a dry Euro game, so that didn't really do the fashion theme justice. So this one does. It felt proper, you know, it felt like some thought was given as to how the fashion industry works. And, you, you know, you're grabbing all the different designs and you're trying to get the materials for them. And then you put on the show and you try and sell off, like, the best collection. Like, this is my Plume de la Mer collection from France with all these different, like, evening wear and skirts and that. And you sell a bunch of money and then you try to prepare for the next show. And it is, at its core, a heavy economic game. But that theme just draws me in something different something rich and thematic that's interesting that i can role play and ham up i mean the last time i played it you know we were joking how one person looked like he basically had like you know cheap child labor as most of his workers because it was just all like you know i've got all these buildings and all these employees that are just run cheaply i had a bunch of uh, machines doing my thing so i was joked that i didn't really have any employees i just ran everything by machines so i'm like the uh what do they have the luddites or whatever they were called back in the victorian times or pre that you know where it's like these machines are ruining the the jobs for like well-paid men and women it's like <laughs> i basically people are making these kind of jokes and that means that I don't think about it as my day job. So that's why Predator Porter gets a pass. In terms of what tips I have, I think, I mean, if you feel like it's going to be like work, then don't necessarily play the game. I mean, there are so many games out there. We don't have to play everything. And if it's not likely to be a type of game that you enjoy, don't seek out and play them. You know, I don't think I'm going to enjoy City on the Big Shoulders, whatever it was called. You know, the way my mate describes it looks boring, it sounds boring, it doesn't sound like I'll enjoy it. So I'm not exactly desperate to seek it out and play it. If I do end up playing it, then fine, but I'm not going to seek it out. And I'm not going to be too bummed that I haven't. But let's say you want to find a heavy game, and you want it to be a heavy economic game, or heavy whatever game, you know, whatever your job description is, and you don't want it to feel like work then I would say try to find one that has a theme that is quintessentially different, yet rich, from what it is you normally do for work. So yes, I'm an accountant, I deal with money. So any economic game is going to feel like work. But like I said, Predator Porter's theme is so rich and so different that it takes my mind off it and just makes it unique. Whereas, you know, the whole trains and oil and stuff like that, it's not a subject matter that interests me. Most of the time, the theme is not even there. I mean, let's face it, is there any theme in Pipeline? Really? You build a carcassonne map out of pipes, and that's about it. Just because the pipes are in the title doesn't make it a thematic game. You know, even Smartphone, to an extent, the, the small game from Cosmodrome Games, it's okay, and that's a little bit easier to deal with because it's smartphones, and obviously I'm glued to my smartphone all the time, so it's a subject area that I'm more interested in, but it is still at its core a pretty much abstracted economic game. You know, the whole idea of it being a smartphone is kind of a sprinkled on to say the least, but I do cope with that a bit easier because it is about smartphones. Whereas you'd get me to play something like Age of Steam and I will fall asleep or go into a fit of rage. Either way, works for me. So that's kind of what I would say. Find a game, if it's going to be, if you're worried about it feeling like work, then consider whether the theme is A, strong, and B, something unlike what you're doing before. I've got no connection to fashion whatsoever in my life, so it was something very different. 
You know, I would like to see heavy economic games take on themes that are different from what I'm used to. And I like these unusual themes, you know. I like it when there is a rich, strong theme in the game. That's how I work. And the more out there this theme is, the better. I mean, what was I playing the other week? Uh, I played Ishtar. I also showed off Dale of Merchants. You know, at its core, it's basically a deck builder. It's not exactly a thematic deck builder. But the idea that you've got all these factions and they're based on animals and they've all got weird names and the cutesy artwork, it just draws me in much more, even though at its core it's basically a deck builder. But I really enjoy that game. So that's what I'd say. Find a theme that works for you. Another member, PC Ronnie, says, How do you and other Dice Tower members maintain independence from designers and publishers for reviews? Well, I can't speak for the Dice Tower, because I'm only on the Dice Tower network. It's not like I've got them on speed dial. But in terms of other people on the network, they've probably got their own way, and they probably think similar to me, at least I hope they do. But the way I see it, stick to your guns. That's basically how I do things. I've got friendships with various publishers and various designers, not loads of them. I mean, they got half of them on speed dial, and obviously people like, no pun included, shut up and sit down. You know, they're going to have all the publishers and designers eating out of their hands, you know, but I don't have that. I just have some friendly relationships with a few, like Ludi Creations and Board and Dice and Ignasty Trevorcheck, you know, Portal Games. And, you know, occasionally I meet up with other publishers and designers and I get on well with them, but they don't exactly know me that well because of me being a very small block. It's not like I can ring up Matthew Dunstan and go, oh, hello, you know, and I talk praise about Ryan Lockett and all these games, but it's not like he speaks to me on Twitter or anything like that. So it's, it's not like I've got these strong, like contact relationships in the first place to influence how I should talk about a game. But even then, same goes with publishers. I mean, Libelude uh, retweets my stuff a lot. Obviously, yeah, like I said, Portal Games I'm good with. I've got a contact Asmodee UK, but I don't really have anybody come to me for, you know, asking me much from, you know, uh, what's it called, Lucky Duck Games, you know that. Um, occasionally, somebody speaks to me from Awakened Realms. There's a lady I know quite well for the Black Rock Games, Cosmodrome and all that lot, although I haven't heard from her in a while. You know, publishers, like I say, Ludi Creations are getting well, and it's just... I don't have this whole portfolio of people to say, right, these are my friends and I love all their games. So I don't, with that in mind, I'm also one that said, as I started this channel, this is my opinion, this is how I'm going to tell it, and I'm going to tell it how it is. I do not want to be like the video game industry where you can just tell that the reviews that most people do in the video game industry are so heavily influenced and biased, it's unbelievable. This is why I really like Angry Joe and his reviews, because I know that he is not influenced by anything. He will tell it how it is, and that's how I love it. That's what I want my reviewers to be. In the board game world, you know, I I have some like high-up reviewers that I watch regularly, and because I trust their opinions as well as enjoy their banter, but there are some, not going to name names, this isn't going to be a slag-off contest, but there are some of the very famous, uh, you know, people on, you know, video game, I'm sorry, board game reviews and that, where I'm kind of like, yeah, your opinions are chopping changing a lot, I'm not sure I trust what you're saying, I feel like you're just saying it to be nice. Whereas me, I don't. You know, I, <laughs> I take that risk, and certainly it, well, I, I'd say it blew up in my face once. I don't really regret it because A, I was talking about a game that was rubbish, uh, 12 Realms. Secondly, it was 
pretty much the guy at Mage Company who decided to completely explode and go nuts on me for doing a bad review of it. And thirdly, Mage Company doesn't exist anymore, so I wonder why. Yes, it's, it not exactly bugged me on that one. But if I don't like a game or if I feel there's flaws, I will tell it how it is. So how do I maintain independence? I just stick to what I do. And if somebody has a problem, you know, I if I do a negative review or if I come up with some negative points about a game and somebody says like, you know, if one of them did come out and say, right, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. This is rubbish. You know, you shouldn't even be doing this sort of thing. Then I won't be friends with them or I won't stay in contact with them. And that's it. You know, it's just the way it will be. At the end of the day, I'm going to tell it how it is. And if somebody cannot take criticism, they shouldn't be doing what they do. Same goes with publishers, same goes for the designers especially. If a designer can't handle criticism, then they shouldn't be designing games. I give some praise to some designers that I don't tend to like their games much, like uh, Alexander Pfister, for example. There's only a two or three games I like from Alexander Pfister. I've got Mari Kaibo, which is fine. I like Isle of Sky, and Oh My Goods is okay. But for the most... Oh yeah, and I like Broom Service, although I think he co-designed that one. But I don't like, you know, the heavier ones, like, uh, what was it called, Mombasa. Can't stand Great Western Trail, as you know. Didn't like Blackout. You know, generally I don't go for his stuff. But he's very good at taking criticism. You know, he's even been on some of my review, um, YouTube reviews, like, with comments, and we've debated about why I don't like something, or, you know, what his reasons for designing something like it is, is, and what I thought positively, and what I didn't, and that, and for a designer to come out and do that, I'm actually giving praise for that, because that's how a designer should be. They should not get upset that you don't like something they put out, because they should realise that there's other people there who adore what they put out, in which case, be happy about that. Don't suddenly come out and attack others just because they don't think quite as highly as some of the other people. But I haven't had that problem really. I mean, there have been some games where I have reviewed them negatively. I have yet to have a designer or publisher in recent times come up to me and give me flack for it. You know, if anything, I'd probably get more gamers come up and give me flack for it, you know, so like downvoting videos or, uh, you know, troll commenting every now and again that sort of goes like, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey, you can't take a bit of criticism, mate. You shouldn't be on the internet. But uh, sadly, that's just the way things are. But no, you know, I, I get the question and I know what you mean. It's hard to find, you know, YouTubers and in various industries who are not biased. But at the end of the day, most of my reviews are done by games I buy myself. A contact at Asmodee gets me other games, but they're a distributor from the how I know them. So it's not like I'm reviewing a game that has been designed just by Asmodee. It's more that the distribution is giving me some games. That doesn't mean I have a, you know, a, a loyalty to Asmodee to say praises about everything they give me. They've seen me report negatively on stuff they've given me. That's fine. You know, not every game I'm going to enjoy. And if any publisher thinks that every reviewer is going to love the game that they put out, then they are ignorant and stupid because that is a moronic way to believe the world works. So, you know, Asmodee might send me a bunch of games like, well, Alabari and the Ice Cup of Tea I mentioned earlier. I'm getting that soon. I have no idea what I'm going to make out of it. I thought Snowdonia was okay. Again, it's got train systems in it. Again, I don't like trains. I know it's a, um, a bait and switch with the whole cup of tea thing because the theme is probably tacked on a bit from the tea range. But I'm going to give it a try. 
go in with an open mind, see if I like it. Sometimes I find games that are hidden gems, sometimes I find games I expect to like that turn out to be garbage. And I make a joke about it. I mean, in my videos you've seen me rag on Great Western Trail, Concordia, Kingdom Builder, The Mind, Age of Steam, you know, to a lesser extent Brass. You know, you've seen me rag on these games and publishers and designers don't really care. You know, because they're the ones probably sitting there going, well, my game's really famous. What does it matter of what this twerp over in the UK says? You know, it's really not that big of a deal. But I tell it how it is. It's how I maintain my independence. I'd like to hope that other people maintain it in a similar fashion, but can't speak for others. It's just the way I roll. And finally, on a similar note from uh, Patreon, Mr. Vincent, uh, this one's a question that I get every now and again, and this is definitely going to be what I'm going on about here. How long do I play a game before it's ready to review? Wow. You debate this with some people and you will get some extreme answers and this will become heated debates before you know it. Frankly, the only answer for this question is it takes as long as it takes because every game is different. There are games out there where you could pretty much suss out whether you like it, what you like and don't like about it in one game. The review I did for Wavelength, I played it a few times, so I can't recall exactly because I don't always track my games, but I must have played it in three separate groups and ranging from one to three times each. So anywhere between uh, six to nine times I probably played Wavelength, you know, if you're going by individual games, although it was technically three sessions. Frankly, I knew what I thought about the game after one play. It's not a complicated game. I mean, you turn a little dial, you do some party S negotiation, and that's it. It's not complicated. So why do I need to play it 20 times before I'm allowed to review it? And the same applies to a lot of other games. There are some people out there on BoardGameGeek who do written articles, and they do good written articles, but they will boast to high heaven about, I've played this 30 times since it came out and it's only been out for 30 days, so I've played it at least once a day for every day of the whole of December, meaning that I had no time for family, friends, or life. It's, uh, seriously, I don't care how many times you've played it. You know, so what you've played it 30 times? All you are saying is that you have no life and you have not wanted to play anything else apart from this one game because it is your love child for the last few days. It's not important. The question is, how many times, you know, have you played it enough to gauge whether you like it or not? I'm not here to talk about game balance in a lot of reviews I do. I mean, I will mention that things feel a little bit like that. And there are some games where you can blatantly see that something is imbalanced when you've played it a few times. But I'm not going to suddenly give strategy tips for how to play games in my reviews. That's not what they're for. At the end of the day, I play the game and realize this is for me, or this is really getting me hyped, or this is boring me to death, or this is inciting me with rage, or this was pretty cool. It, it gives me feelings. That's what I base my reviews on. In terms of how many plays that takes, completely varies. Now, I usually set myself a minimum bar though, that no game should get a review if I haven't played it at least three times, because anything less than that, or even just three times, I would probably give down as a first impressions video. And certainly when we get into Essen and a few of the other busy periods this year, I may have to do some first impression videos based on only one or two plays. But typically I will try to play a minimum of four times for every game before it gets a review. And even then, what, even if I can't do four times, I will at least play every single player count. 
at least once. So if I get a game that's one to four players, I will check out a two player, I'll check out a three player, I'll check out a four player, and I will play it solo. And tr at least that's enough plays for me. So some people out there might be thinking, well, you can't talk bad about this game because you haven't played it 25 times. I don't care. Seriously, if I've played it three times and I think it's garbage, then the fourth time is not going to suddenly change my mind. If anything, playing a game too often in a short amount of time will make your review worse because you will play it to death, get burned out on it, and not like it anywhere near as much as you probably should. And that can happen. There are games I have played where I've played them a little bit too often and it's like, oh, the uh, magic has kind of died a bit now. Uh, maybe I don't want to keep this much anymore. And it happens. It's good to spread your games out a little bit, but really, it just depends. Let me let me look behind me a second. Uh, what have we got here? So Maracaibo. I must have played that solo at least a couple of times. I definitely played it once at each player count, so two, three, and four player. I probably played it a good couple of extra times on that. So let's say I've played it six times, five or six times, I think, before I reviewed it. The seventh time's not going to change my mind. Now, granted, I needed more than two to three times to give a decent review of it, but I could have reviewed it after my fourth game. I didn't even need to do the fifth, sixth, or seventh game of it. I could have happily said what I needed to say after my fourth, because the feelings aren't going to dramatically change, apart from just going, oh, I've played it to death now, I don't need to play it anymore. No, 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 get in while it's fresh. Fresh-ish in your mind, just not the first game you've ever played of it. That's more for this podcast, for example. So, looking back on, uh, Truth Magistus... That was a little bit harder. Uh, that one, I think I played... I think I played that one four times. I played that one once at each player count, and that was kind of all I could do. I mean, it, sometimes it also depends on the game itself, because, you know, it's a lot easier for me to... Well, let's say, the three games I mentioned earlier, The Crew, Coloma, and On Mars. The Crew, I pretty much could review that after the first game I played of it, and frankly, I could also play all I need to play of it in an hour. The game is that short. It's simple. I don't need to spend days on it to get a review of the crew out. Coloma is a more medium weight game and therefore requires a little bit more effort. But then again, you know, you can get a few plays of it. There's only so much in there to say, oh, this is complex and, uh, you know, interactive and that. It's like, no, 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 these mechanics function as they do. This is how it plays out. Let's try the different player counts and we're good. But then on Mars, on the other hand is probably going to be less than that because I can play it solo, but even that takes a long time. And it's a game that has got such a high barrier to entry. I'll mention this in the review, but because it's so heavy, so long, so complicated, it's not one that you want to teach to new players very often, so you need to try and get the same people available to play it. Not always easy, unless you're lucky enough that the only people you ever play games with are your free friends down the street. And, you know, that one may have to be just free plays and then it gets reviewed. Although in this case I have played it at least four times, but it was touch and go and the only reason it is that many times is because it's been delayed since, uh, you know, late Feb because of the tonsillitis. You know, I was actually planning to review it back then. So, but a game like that is so heavy that you, you know, if you play the crew once, you've played about 10 minutes of a game. So you generally will play it about 10 times. You get 10 times 10 minutes. So 100 minutes, hour and a half. I can play free games of On Mars, and that's giving me a good 10 plus hours of experience with the game. I don't need to say whether I won the game or not. I don't need to say whether something feels imbalanced or not in it, but after 10 hours of being involved with a game, 
If you cannot come up with a decent opinion of whether the game works for you or not in 10 hours, then there is something wrong with you. Because you should be able to gauge that kind of thing in the first game, let alone the 4th, 5th, 10th, 20th, whatever. It's just not worth it. Bearing in mind I have a day job and somewhat of a little life on the side, other than board games and the blog, but I don't have the time to play every single game I review 20 times. I have to do what I can with what I have. And no, that not means I'm going to put a play counter on every review to say, oh yeah, this is how many times I've played it, because it's just irrelevant information. I've played, what was it? Uh, do I think? Um, I've lost track of how many times I've played uh, Terramara. I still love it now. And in the first two, three games I played of it, I still love it. I think it's a fantastic Euro game. My opinion is not going to drastically change right now, and certainly it did not really change that much in the first, second, or third play of it because I enjoyed it. I knew what I liked about it. I knew what I didn't like about it, if there was any flaws. Same goes with games I don't like. I know why I don't like Great Western Trail. It doesn't matter if I play it uh, once, five times. I think I've played it five or six times in my life. Um, obviously, I didn't want to play it ever since. But, you know, five times, ten times, twenty times, doesn't matter. You know, I will comment that, oh, yeah, there's only so many paths to victory, and that's it, because that's what it feels like. No, I am not going to play it another twenty times to say, oh, wait, no, there's this little intricacy here that means there's maybe another couple of paths to victory in that. Not going to matter. I still think the game's boring. I still think the game's too long. I still think that buildings are imbalanced as all get out, and I still don't get why you are deck building with ninja cows. It does not matter. Oh yeah, and discs are annoying. So it doesn't matter if I play it 20 more times, I'm still not going to like the game. So what does it matter? Oh, a little bit of a rant, but uh, that's kind of the way it is. Sorry that question dragged on a bit long, but I get this, it infuriates me a little bit, not because I was asked this question, this is a good question, but I see this like mentioned by people on articles all the time, like, oh, you haven't played enough, therefore you just don't understand. It's like, yeah, like you're the expert on it. You know, none of us are experts, we're just people giving our opinions. If you can't handle that, then go away. But it's, you know, this comes up so often, people hype on it too much. Really, bottom line, as many times as it takes. So that wraps up another podcast and just in time actually because I've got just about enough time to pack my gym bag, head to the gym, do some more weights because I'm uh, starting to make a little bit of progress on my stomach I must admit actually, maybe I lost a little bit of weight during the tonsillitis I'm not sure but uh, new routine is starting to work on me and maybe I got my diet in check, you know, maybe the caffeine free things having an effect, I don't know but uh, I feel like I'm in a little bit of better shape than usual though I am far from a... Uh, you know, um, miles away from a flat stomach, you know, and being a tower of attraction to women. Yeah, it's not really happening anyway, as they look at me. But, you know, I'm trying to be fit and healthy, so the more I can get to the gym, the better. But uh, that's all going to be undone, because once I'm done at the gym tonight, I'm going out for a curry. So it's going to literally be burn whatever calories I can in the weightlifting, just so that I can fill up about five times as much when I go out for a curry. Because, uh, yeah, not the healthiest meal in the world, but... I've got a hankering for a curry because I haven't had a decent curry in a while, like an eat out curry, and I cannot wait. Go to the gym, get chained, go straight out for a curry. Should make for a good evening. 
Anyway, hope you've been enjoying this podcast as it comes out. So like I say, I'll try and do another podcast at uh, some point later this month, maybe around the 20th weekend, something like that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get them out more often. You know, tonsillitis delayed this one, but I should be able to get another one out in March uh, fairly soon. And obviously keep sending in your questions. I love answering them for the Q&A. I know people have enjoyed listening to them. You know, me going on rants and big tangents. So by all means, send me the questions. Whether you're a Patreon or not, I will answer them. It's just Patreons. Get first dibs as to the order. So, you know, the only reason I was doing community ones today is because I didn't have any other Patreon ones, apart from the one I mentioned with uh, Vincent. But I now have a bunch of Patreon questions, so I will try to answer um, a chunk of those in the next episode. But by all means, keep sending me what you've got. In terms of the rest of the channel, hope you've enjoyed the top tens. Hope you've enjoyed the reviews. Ring the bell, subscribe, find me on Facebook, Twitter, everything. Share the videos. Share the podcast, get out on Facebook groups, you know, do whatever you can to get this channel into the limelight. I'm trying to grow it as best as I can, and you guys help make it possible. So, uh, I suppose, and I hope you've enjoyed some of the other random little snippets that I've put out every now and again, like, uh, you know, reviews of the Miyazaki movies. I'm on a bit of a crusade at the moment to uh, watch all the Studio Ghibli films, or at least not all of them, but all the really famous ones, because I'd never watched one of them before. Yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, anime fans. I just never got around to watching them. But uh, now they're on UK Netflix, I decided now's the time. And I've, for the most part, enjoyed them. I wasn't a fan of Totoro, but uh, probably not the film for me. But uh, really liked Castle in the Sky. Really liked Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. Um, I've enjoyed Porco Rosso. I've enjoyed uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, um, what was it called? Uh, Tales of... Tintur or something? Or Tale from Earthsea or something like that. That was alright, but it had a really rubbish ending. And what's, what am I watching next? Um, I've watched Norsecur. Oh yeah, I'm going to watch Spirited Away next. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. Probably tomorrow. But yeah, I'm looking... People have been telling me if you don't watch Spirit Away, then you don't exist. Because <laughs> they demand that I have to watch that. And they want me to watch it in the Japanese edit as well. Do I have to? I'm one of these people that's a fan of the English dubs, and the English dubs have been brilliant apart from Neighbor to Toro, but, you know, I like the English dubs of these, but apparently the story falters a little bit if you don't watch the Japanese version, so I'm going to listen to my friends, they are the experts, not me, I'm going to take their word for it, so, uh, yeah, hope you've enjoyed my little uh, write-ups on those as well, stuff for the channel in the future. I am looking to see if I can do some stuff on my mobile phone, I'm even upgrading it with the Samsung program to the S20 Plus at some point soon. But I've got a lavalier mic that I can connect up to the phone. And in doing so, it means that I could hold the phone in the gimbal. Or in the case of the S20 Plus, it's got, um, what do you call it, uh, steady hand mode or something. Which means I might not even need to use a gimbal. Which would be interesting because it would be a lot easier to set up. And then I'll do little snippet videos, like selfie videos. You know, um, I want to do a tour of my board game collection and my board game room. And I could do that on my phone with a proper little microphone next to me. So it doesn't sound like garbage. And I just want to do impromptu stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff that would be directly uploaded to YouTube without any, like, editing software, without any, like, thumbnails and stuff. You know, well, maybe I'll do thumbnails, but I would edit them later as opposed to anything else. So, you know, we'll see. It's just stuff I've got going around my head. Anyway, I've been ranting on for too long. i got to get to the gym because i got some biceps to do stuff with. I couldn't really think of a line at the end of that. <laughs> I'm tired. I better get going. So thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple podcast. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Thank you for listening. Love you guys. Check you soon. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. 
If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.